0: Baptist Church.
1: Listen to this portion of the story of God from the book of Joshua. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the command and the law that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his command, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their home. To the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Bashan, and to the other half, Joshua gave land on the west side of Jordan, along with their fellow Israelites. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with all your wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze and iron and great quantity of clothing. And divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. So the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. The word of the Lord.
0: About 22 years ago, when I was the associate pastor here, uh, it, was, it was in my first year, and I had a man approach me and confront me on, he said that, that he had heard from somebody else that I was uh, being inappropriate with women, and I was taken aback. And he said that, that this other individual who had talked to him about this had seen me uh, hugging and kissing women in, the, in Fellowship Hall in a way that was kind of over the top and that, that it was inappropriate for me to be doing that. And he went on, and I'm, and I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking. He said that I was even so bold at one point as to just stand there with my arms around these two women and I'm and I'm just racking my brain I, and and I said can you describe these women to me? And he said well they're both pretty tall and one is blonde and and one is brunette. And then it occurred to me and I said I said Do you know their names? Would would the blonde's name be Debbie and the brunette's name be Karen? And he said, Yeah, I think that's right. And I I said, Well, did you know that their last name was Boyd? (laughs) Because when we moved to the city, my sisters actually moved up here at the same time, and so what this guy had seen was me hugging and kissing my sisters. Now... And but he didn't know they were my sisters. And so he misconstrued my actions, though they, his facts were right. I was hugging and kissing these women. I was standing with my arm around these women. So he, he got the facts right, but the backstory, he didn't know. And so he he started talking to other people about it and misconstrued that and, and jumped to conclusions that were just wrong. Anybody else ever had that happen? Yeah. People see things going on. They jump to some conclusions and maybe start some rumors, but but there's it's a wrong conclusion. That's what we're going to see in Joshua 22 this morning. And and this is, it's an important text because we've been talking about taking new ground as we've been going through this series and, and how God's called us to take this new ground in our lives spiritually, and, and he's called us to take new ground as as a community of faith. And we've been looking at all these principles about what it what it looks like for us to take new ground. And, and, and as we've been in this last section of the book, chapters 13 to 22, it's about really settling into this new ground, this abundant life of Christ that God has for us. And one of the things that we have to come to terms with as, we're, as we are experiencing the abundant life is that there will be conflict, even in the family of faith, there will be um, misunderstanding and misconception and and all that. And so we need to know how to deal with that well so that we are honoring the truth of God, but we're loving each other well. And that's what we're going to see in Joshua chapter 22. So if you'll take out your Bibles, because I'm going to be reading um, some big chunks of, of the text this morning. What Angela just read in verses one through nine is it kind of sets us up for it. Because in verses one through nine, what you see are these two and a half tribes of, of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And the soldiers are being decommissioned. You know, for, for seven years, the the fighting men of Israel have been have been fighting against all of these um, you know, opposition cities in Canaan. And so these guys are a band of brothers. But now you've got this emotional farewell happening where these two and a half tribes are going home. They're, they're going back to the land that, that God has given them on the eastern side of the Jordan uh, through, through Moses. Moses. So you 've got these two and a half tribes now we 've all heard stories we've all read stories we 've seen movies about the bonds that soldiers develop right they fight in the trenches together they you know they lose some of their their um, brothers in battle and there's this there's this deep bond that develops. so I want you to think about the bond that these guys. Had with each other. They fought for seven years with with one another, which is longer than any uh, than either of our world wars. They're they're doing battle together. They've they've um, lost some some men together. They so there's this deep bond. Imagine the the emotional farewell that's taking place as as these two and a half the the soldiers from these two and a half tribes are going back to their land and and they're you know Joshua's giving them the, this farewell address and he's he's saying you know he's commending them for their faithfulness and he's uh, he's calling them or charging them to stay true to the truth of of who God is and and he's saying now I'm going to send you back with with the wealth that we've accumulated in in battle and and so there had to be just, I can imagine that it was a pretty emotional time. So what's going to happen when these two and a half tribes, these, these men, go back to their families? What are they going to do? Well, that's what I want us to, to look at. Look at verse 10. When they came to Gililoth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. One translator um, renders the Hebrew to say uh, uh, um, an altar of grand appearance. So these, these soldiers are leaving, and they're going home, but they get... They get to the Jordan River, and before they cross, they think, you know what? This land over here is important to us. We've fought for this land. We've had brothers who've died for this land. We don't want to forget what's going on, what we've done over here, and our connection to this land. So they build this this altar near the Jordan. Is that okay? Is that an appropriate action? Is that hugging your sister? Yeah, I think it's all right. Right? Seems fine to me. How did it seem to the guys that were still west of the Jordan? Verse 11. When the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gilaloth near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Wow. Word traveled, they jumped to some conclusion. What's going on? I mean, why why would this matter? Well building an altar was no light matter. An altar was primarily used for sacrifice and and there was an altar at Shiloh that was there for sacrifice to to the Lord and and having another altar meant that that was apostasy that was that was going that was a deviation from the worship of the true God and they weren't going to let that happen. So these guys are ready to go to war. Um, What would motivate that? Why would they feel so strongly that now they're in a time of peace, but now this thing happens and now they're ready to go and fight not just with their brothers, but against their brothers? What would motivate that? A couple of things. One, they were committed to the honor of the Lord. They were committed to the truth of God. And they were determined to not let anything intrude on that honor. You know, the guy who confronted me about what he construed as my inappropriate behavior with women, while he got it, while he got it wrong, I appreciate the confrontation. I appreciated the fact that he cared enough about me. He cared enough about the the honor of God. He cared enough about the fact that I represented God in my role as pastor. And he didn't want me to act in a way that would bring reproach upon the honor of God. And so he came and, and, and challenged me. I appreciate that. I'm glad he did it. That's what these guys are doing. Um, They care that much about the honor of God. Secondly, they're willing to fight not only because they are zealous for the honor of the Lord, but because they love their brothers and they were willing to fight against their brothers to keep their brothers from from turning away from the Lord. They didn't want these guys going down the wrong path. So look at what happens. Verse 13 and following. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, one, (coughs) one for each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar and rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If if the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us but do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, acted unfaithfully regarding the devoted things, did not wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Do you see what they did? They, they wanted to love their brothers, not fight with them. So rather than you know just taking up arms and storming a, over the river and, and going at them, they send this delegation to plead with them to come back to the truth. And I want you to notice three things about the exchange. First, they were straightforward in communicating their concern. They didn't beat around the bush. They called a spade a spade. They called it like they saw it. They said, you know what, this looks like sin to us and we... And sin needs to be dealt with. They knew that morality was not individualistic or relativistic. It's not, you know... This, this is what I believe and what you believe is just fine because that's your thing and this is our thing and, and your morals are your morals and my morals are my morals. And, and we can all be happy. We can all live according to our relativistic truth. That's not what they did. They saw their brothers going a wrong direction or at least that's what they thought and they said, we can't let that happen. And so they tried to, they went to call them back to the standard. And they used two illustrations that in verse 17, they cite the sin of Peor. Uh, anybody know what the sin of Peor is? Anybody? Okay. You need to read that clean part of your Bible. You know, like the book of Numbers. There's no, you got nothing underlined in Numbers. Go to Numbers. Numbers 25. Talks about this, what happened at Peor, and, and the, you can read the whole story at some point. The Reader's Digest condensed is that during the the wanderings in the wilderness, some of the men, actually a lot of the men, were seduced by Moabite women, and and they engaged in sexual immorality with these Moabite women. They began to offer sacrifices. They led Israel, in fact, to offer sacrifices to the Baal, the god of Peor. And and God wasn't happy with with that. And so God told Moses to wipe out all of the men that led Israel astray. And by the end of it all, about 24,000 men were killed. Um, That's what they're talking about. They're saying, we don't want to go down that road again. Don't do that. And then they talk about Achan. And we we looked at Achan uh, a couple months ago. So you can, you know, listen to the podcast on that. But the the short of that is Achan's sin caused Israel to be defeated in the, the battle of Ai. And Achan... It, his sin caused many many people to die and so israel's saying we don't want to go there you know we we need to honor the lord we we can't do things our own way the bottom line is they understood that sin has consequences they understood what could happen when you <coughs> When you make the wrong sacrifice on the wrong idol to the wrong God at the wrong time, they understood what happens when you do things your way and not God's way. They understood that there are consequences to sin, and they didn't want their brothers to suffer that, and they didn't want to be a part of that. So they called their brothers back to the truth. Question. Are we that zealous for the honor of God? Are we so zealous for the truth that we're willing to say the hard things to people and confront them so that they don't bring reproach upon the name of the Lord? Are we, do we love well? Are we so zealous that we want to see, we don't want our brothers and sisters to go the wrong direction. So we, we say the hard things to them. Something we need to note in verse 19, these western tribes didn't just go to these guys and say, hey, what you're doing, stop it. No, verse 19, they said, if the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. See what they're doing? They're saying, hey, if you're doing this because your situation's not all that great, come back over. We'll give you some of our stuff. We'll give you some of our land. We're willing to sacrifice so that you don't go down that wrong path. Friends, that's the kind of love that wins people to Jesus. That's the kind of love that brings people who are straying back to Jesus. When we don't just come and, and say, God's word says, you know, and nail them. But we say, hey, I'm, here's what I'm willing to do for you. Because I love you and, I, and we, we don't want you to go astray. There's a, there's a sacrificial love here that, that brings people back. And I wonder how much more affected we would be in, in our evangelism. I wonder how much more effective we would be in, in bringing people back to the faith if we were willing to, to have personal sacrifice, if there was personal sacrifice involved. Verse 21, then Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built Our own altar to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord Himself call us to account. Do you see what these guys are doing? Or better put, what they're not doing? They're not getting defensive. They're not saying, "Oh, you misunderstood you. You know, you don't need to come get in our." F- there's, there's no pride here. There's no defensiveness. They're not saying, "Hey, who gives you the right to come into my land and tell me what to do?" They, they agree with the truth. And they say, "Hey, if what we're doing is wrong, <laughs> we ought to die. We, we need." to be held accountable for this stuff they recognize that there's that there's a standard the story ends well um, because like me hugging my sisters what these guys were doing was absolutely appropriate it was just misconstrued Verse 24, no, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, Let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generation that followed that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then, in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, You have no share in the Lord. Skip down to verse 29. Far be it from us. To rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today and build an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before the tabernacle. When Phinehas, the priests, and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Do you see what the altar was there for? It was not there for sacrifices. It was there as a reminder. It was there so that, so that the people on the western side would remember that the people on the eastern side are still part of them. It was there so that their kids could look across and say, yeah, those are our people too, and we need to uh, continue to offer sacrifice over there. You see, it was there as a, as a reminder to keep the two together. The story has, an ha- has a happy ending because there was clear agreement on the importance of the truth and understanding that the holiness of God demands obedience. It has a happy ending because the Western tribes were, were courageous in upholding the truth. But not just that. They were also courageous in, in extending love, sacrificial love. And it has a happy ending because the Eastern tribes didn't get defensive. But they, they listened to the rebuke. They said, we want the truth to prevail as well. And they took it to heart. There's a great verse in Psalm 85, actually a few verses, verses 8 to 10 say, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. See, that's what happens at Gilead. The righteousness of God and the peace of God came beautifully together. And in the final analysis, that's what we're called to. We are we're called to righteousness and peace. And if we're going to settle well into this new ground of abundant life that Jesus came to give us, We have to see the connection between righteousness and peace. And we have to be able to represent to our world the connection between righteousness and peace. Our our world doesn't know anything about this. In the place of righteousness and truth, what do we have? We've got relativism, right? you got, you know, there's one truth for you and there's one truth for me. There's one... set of morals for for you, and there's another set of morals for you, and there's another set for you, and, and, you know, if we can all just kind of have our own way, then we'll all get together just fine, right? How's that worked out for us? Not so well. We have a world of discord and uh, disharmony. Discord and disharmony; those are the same thing. Um, we have a we have a world of selfishness and hatred and cruelty. Why? Because there's no standard that we're all living to. We all all got our own thing going. But what God wants from us and what God calls us to is righteousness. That leads to peace. What are our takeaways? First and foremost, don't come trash talking to me about hugging my sisters. That's the first takeaway. Um, The first thing that we need to take away is that if, if you hear a rumor that has to do with the integrity of a brother or sister in Christ, do not disregard it. Take it serious. Take it serious. Because we need to, we need to have a zeal for protecting the honor of God and we need to have a love for one another that says, I'm not going to let them go the wrong direction. You know, I'm glad that guy confronted me. Because even though the rumor was wrong, what it did for me is it put on my radar that I got to be really careful. Because people are because people are watching me with a lens that I need to be careful about. And so it, it helped me. Even though it was wrong, it helped. And so we we need to if 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 you hear a rumor that's about the integrity of of somebody else, we need to approach that person um, but but here's the second part of it. We need to keep our emotions in check in check until we've gathered enough information. if Israel had just You know, they they saw the information. They said, they're building an altar. We can't let that happen. You know, that's turning away from the truth. Let's go get them, you know. And they just went and wiped them out without going and engaging in conversation. Uh, There would have been a lot of unnecessary casualties there. But truth is, that's how some of us operate. You know, some of us... Graduated from the Clint Eastwood School of Conflict Resolution. You know, we we shoot first and then ask questions later. We just come in like you know a kamikaze, and we're just you know all guns are blazing, and we're you know the truth is our convictions are so strong that we don't stop and take the time to say, hey, here's what, here's how I see it. What's going on? what's going on with this so that we can get other perspectives and, and the the backstory if you will friends we need we need to be take <clears throat> rumors and and evidence serious when we see it or hear it but we also need to put our emotions in check and deal with our emotions uh, away from the confrontation so that when we come and sit down and talk we we were able to To ferret things out well. Third. We need to talk frankly with one another. Confronting in love. With our priority being the welfare. Of the person we confront. And we need to be willing to personally sacrifice. In order to bring about this righteous resolve. That's what Israel did. They. They. They said, look, don't go that way, and in order to keep you from going that way, here's what we'll offer, because we don't want you to go there. Just, um, just last week, was it last week? Uh, yeah, just last week, I had um, some folks call me into my own office, (laughs) which you got to love when they take you into your office to slap you around a little bit. Um, no, I had, I had some folks call me into my office and say, Hey, here's what's, here's what we see is going on. And, and, and this doesn't seem right to us. And, and, we want you to get better, and we want Trinity to get better, and here's what, you know, we think needs to happen. And so we were able to talk it through, and, and I, th- I think I was able to hear them well. I think I was able to respond non-defensively, mostly. I got a little defensive at one point. Um, but you know what? When we get defensive... Defensiveness at the end of the day is just pride. Isn't it? I want to be right. And so when we when we put our defenses down, we're saying, no, it's not about me being right, it's about us being right. It's about us walking toward what's right together. Truth combined with peace has to be one of our highest priorities. But don't don't mishear that. It has to be truth combined with peace. It has to be peace combined with truth because peace without truth is just compromise. And truth without peace is just legalism. We got to put peace and truth together. Peace and righteousness have to kiss. Christ said that blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Jesus was the prince of peace and we are called to be like him. How how can there be any real peace unless there is righteousness, unless there is truth? There can't be. And so as we take new ground in our lives, one one of the opportunities that we have is to show a relativistic, misunderstanding selfish and cruel world that a zeal for truth and loving confrontation are the basis for any true and lasting peace we have an opportunity to show our world that righteousness and peace do kiss in the context of who god is and who he's called us to be. So let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that um, we get to do life together as a community. I thank you that we have the opportunity to to be iron sharpening iron. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have a standard that we can look to. I thank you, Lord, for, for friends and brothers and sisters who love me enough and, and love you enough that they won't let things just sit out there. But they will come and they will challenge me. And I pray, Lord, that we would all have that commitment, that we would all um, be so committed to your honor and, and to one another that we would love well, even in confrontation. And Lord as we come to the table this morning I pray that we would recognize that in the cross you sh- you show us that there that there cannot be peace without righteousness and righteousness only comes ultimately through your sacrifice And so Lord we are we are grateful for the cross we are grateful for The righteousness that you give us. And then the peace that we can experience with you and with each other. We pray this for your name's sake.